Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This series is brought to you by Super Guardian, a specialist self-managed super fund administrator known for their client-centric approach to their full service solution. If you need SMSF support or CPD, check out the Knowledge Center or sign up for Super Guardian updates at superguardian.com.au. Welcome back to the XY Advisor Podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today we are exploring all things self-managed super funds, and I'm joined by Tracy Scotchbrook from the Self-Managed Super Fund Association. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, Fraser. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for uh, hanging out with us today and chatting about all things self-managed super funds. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> now, give us. Uh, now, we might start with uh, a quick overview of you and just your position in the Self-Managed Super Fund Association. Yeah, so I've been quite fortunate to work in the SMSF sector for, for quite a long time and I won't put a number on it because it gives a little bit too much away. Um, but I was quite fortunate. I started as a, a tax accountant originally and, and had that original sort of business services, that broad-based tax and accounting experience that also included some exposure to self-managed super fund. And I just, there was just a natural gravitation till I found it really interesting um, because it was just so different to the other typical tax and accounting work. Uh, and more through good luck than design, my career took me on a pathway where the opportunity seemed to expand on the self-managed super fund front till it came to a point where I was really at a crossroads and need to make the decision, did I wish to continue as a, a business service accountant or move into the uh, self-managed super fund uh, space? Uh, and fortunately, it's when I first uh, encountered some uh, members of the Self-Managed Super Fund Association, or SPA as it was known way back then, um, who were some fantastic mentors for me and got me on the pathway uh, to specialisation and uh, the path, put me on the pathway to my career to take me to, to today. And um, I've been a bit of a hybrid of a, an accountant and a financial advisor since about 2010. Um, there was a lot of talk back then around the removal of accounts exemption and the shift in licensing. Uh, and so I took the opportunity to, to dive into that advice base because it just provided so many more opportunities for, to have those strategic conversations with clients. So I've kind of straddled the two worlds for uh, as an accountant and an advisor and never really sure what to call myself other than an SMSF specialist and uh, um, had a great relationship with the association and have been fortunate enough to join the team in April uh, this year as the as the policy manager. So uh, which has been a really exciting opportunity, quite quite different to uh, public practice, but uh, re yeah, really loving it, being able to sink my teeth into some of those meaty consultations papers and, and things. It's been quite a busy uh, busy time since coming on board. <laughs> I just I just love the fact that you uh, you nerd out about the uh, the idea of getting your, your teeth sunk into a uh, policy paper, which is incredible. That's it. Um, yep. Now, now I'll, just, I'll just touch on this conversation too around the idea of um, you know advisors and accountants both being in the space. Um, there is an, a bit of an overlap in some ways. There's there can be yep. um, there can be confusion for who's doing what at some at some points. There can be a double up. There can be conversations from um, 
you know, all sides of uh, conversation around, um, you know, TPD, TPB membership, tax accounting. Is it a tax job? Is that an, an advisor's job? How do you see yeah. all that sort of settling? I mean, obviously, there's sort of. Uh, I I feel like it's a bit of a mindset too. Sometimes there's a there is a bit of an. There can always be a bit yeah. of a conflict there. Yeah, I agree that that, that whole mindset concept, um, the approach I've always taken has been around collaboration and collaboration was a core part of my uh, practice when I was was in practice um, prior to joining the association. And those relationships, I think, uh, across the professions are essential. Particularly when you look at issues around, for example, access to information from the, the tax agents portal. So total super balances for, for members. What's their transfer balance cap? What are their contribution caps? Have they got bring forward concessional contribution cap amounts? How much is it? That level of reporting is really vital for the advisors, for the advice that they're giving, but they don't have ready access to that. Whereas the tax, a tax accountant uh, does through the tax agent portal. Um, so that's where that relationship is really important as well as on an execution level as well so to make sure there's no doubling up um, I've seen scenarios where things have gone astray where um, that communication ha- piece hasn't worked so well and uh, there's been advice around contributions on one side and advice on the other and then there's ended up being a, a double up and the poor client in the middle is really n- not really understood um, that there was an issue there so it, it collaboration is such an important important um, piece I think in in this space for sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think all of the professionals working in the space need to understand that from a very, from a yep. very concept, don't they? They have to go, well, yes, this is my client, but it's the, it's the client of these other people as well, these other professionals, and we all That's need right. to work together. If we're not working together in a harmonious way, then we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, exactly. Because another example of that where the tax accountants really play an important role can be around the tax planning and what happens where you've got um, clients in pension mode and perhaps there's a mixture of accumulation, different scenarios playing out. And for the advisor wanting to do uh, particular pension strategies or selling of assets, it's important that there's good um, co-work that goes on um, to make sure that there's not any um, unexpected um, adverse outcomes. Um, sometimes strategies look good on paper when it, when it comes to execution, what it's going to cost versus the, to, to execute versus the benefit doesn't always work out. So that's another situation where I see that that, that whole collaboration piece is, is really, really important to get that right outcome ultimately for that for that shared client. Yeah, that's a, it's a, you're absolutely right. It's a really interesting space to and a mind again. It's a mindset that you have to come into. So absolutely, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Now, now tell us about the association. Um, it, it's obviously been you know fairly strong for a long time, uh, and yes. you know it does a lot of work. And, and I think, yes, as policy manager, you do a lot of work in the advocacy space. Correct. Yeah. So the association was originally born um, out of a, a need because SMSS were uh, under threat uh, at the time, and uh, a core group of people came together to to form uh, the association to advocate and and effectively save uh, save the sector. Uh, and so it was born on a very strong platform of uh, advocacy and and policy. Um, and certainly, a CEO John Moroni and deputy CEO um, and head 
of Technical and Education, Peter Burgess, do a lot of work um, in, in speaking with um, the key people uh, in Canberra, uh, whether it's tre Treasury ministers. Um, so those, those relationships uh, and conversations are really very, very important to the work that we do. Um, and for myself, it's, it's, it's consulting um, with members and uh, putting together those responses to, to uh, the various bills and consultation papers that come from a variety of sources, whether it's through Treasury, ATO, uh, ASIC, Prime Minister and Cabinet, um, there's uh, quite a variety uh, of sources of where this consultation process uh, actually uh, actually occurs. Um, so that's really quite uh, qu quite interesting, but it's always had a strong, a strong platform. And th the other thing I think that's important is that the fact that the SMSF Association actually um, represents um, a broad base of members. So we, we've got um, key professionals uh, of, of from different groups. So whether it's accountants, auditors, uh, financial advisors, actuaries, um, lawyers, hopefully I haven't missed anybody there, but the, it's, it's anybody who, um, is a professional working in that space. Um, you know, it comes back to what we were talking before about collaboration. I think SMSS are very much about collaboration because all of these professions are need, needed at various different times and need, need to work together. Uh, so it's really interesting from that perspective, uh, when you've got such a melting pot of different, um, professionals and, and representing their interests. Yeah, it's really interesting when you you think about that specialisation uh, conversation. On obviously we we've had specialisation conversations. You can specialise in a particular type of client or a particular product or a particular uh, you know demographic or all those types of things. Yep. I guess uh, you it's very clear that uh, self managed super fund is what you're specialising in for all the people that work in and around that space. Correct, correct. Now, how and importantly, consider, considering the trustees in that mix as well. Yeah, that's a really important point. The, the trustees yeah. have to be represented. Um, yes. how, how do you describe a self-management fund? Is, it, is this a strategy or a product or where, where are we sitting in this space? Yeah, that that's that's a good question, and I think it's all of I think it's all of those things. Um, uh, I think it's a product because of the the, the nature of it, and um, uh, whilst it, it's viewed as a structure, I think there's so many moving parts and components to it that make it a product. So when you start talking about contributions and then underlying investments, pensions themselves being a separate product. So uh, yes, it's a structure. It's that's the wrapper, but inherently all the moving parts are sort of falling into that um, sort of product side of it. Certainly a lot of strategic advice involved, also a lot of product advice. Um, so again, the need for that for the broad range of professionals. Yeah, okay. So we're sort of putting it in the into into the uh, the three buckets of strategy, the strategy, the product and the uh, or the strategy, product and the uh, and the structure. Okay. Very good. Um, tell me about the association. So your role is to really work with these uh, in the policy space, working with government, working with other associations, I guess, and all the stakeholders. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of active engagement that goes on on an ongoing basis with the, the, the various um, professional bodies, so FPA, Chartered Accountants, IPA, uh, CPA, um, lots of ongoing conversations, um, which, which is fantastic. They're great working relationships. Uh, and where possible, it means that where, uh, where there's uh, alignment, um, we can actually um, – issue uh, statements or consult jointly, um, which helps to deliver better outcomes. Yep. yep. So that a lot of that, that conversation takes place, obviously, before, you know, before you make a statement. 
Oh yes, and and the association has been uh, involved with a number of joint uh, joint statements, uh, either pub to, to to the media, um, or whether it's joint letters to whether it's to to a minister or um, you know ATO. That, that yeah, so there, there's a good uh, good working history there amongst the professional bodies, which is great. Yeah, fantastic, and and obviously uh, a big part of what you're doing is the the idea of a specialisation or you know being able to say that these members um, are specialising in self municipal funds. Yeah, correct. And it, it is a complex area uh, and uh, some people uh, may be aware of SMSF and understand some of the fundamentals, but when it comes to some of those moving parts and the strategy, uh, I think that's where the specialisation is key. Um, the uh, There's so many compliance rules that need to be navigated and from a strategic point of view, there's so many different options. So it's looking at what's going to be the best option for, for the client and, and I think that's where the, the specialisation is really uh really adds value and, and so important yep now you mentioned trustees and and this is intriguing because I, I, I haven't really thought about this but um is that something that you could, could a trustee be a member of the association um so not as a member but they do have a website called smsf uh, connect uh, which is directly targeted uh, at a trustee audience so it's somewhere that trustees can go to seek out information access articles and various other tools checklists uh, little videos is quite it's quite a um, good resource and it's one that advisors can use as well if they're looking to find an education source or an information source for clients they can access uh, the information for free um, they just need to create a, a, a login um, and then they've got free access to the, the, the resources that are available there. Th- that's really the position I think the association has taken is that rather than a member, it's about making sure that we're providing information out to that trustee market um, as a source of truth, I, I suppose. Um, and because there's a lot of misinformation, as we know, that that happens uh, out, out there and on social media and various other locations, at least this is a central hub that they can come to and access um, various pieces of information. There's even little mini courses. So for those that are really wanting to get in and sink their teeth in as trustees and learn a bit more, or those that are thinking about self-managed, they can sink their teeth into the, these little mini courses as well which are really great yeah really yeah. engaging fantastic and we'll just grab that uh, the url for that again what was that one it's smsfconnect.com fantastic brilliant um now let's uh, let's have a chat about some of the uh, the you and i spoke before about some of the costs and the research around uh, around this and obviously there's been some different sort of um papers put out uh, obviously in 2013 asic sort of came out with a mention around costs of running a self-managed super fund and, and how much money should be um, somebody should have to start making it affordable in the in, in bunny ears, I guess you could say. Uh, <laughs> uh, and of course that's no longer around anymore that piece of that paper. Yeah, so Rice Warner did some research with ASIC back in 2013 and that's when we started to see that sort of rule of thumb, that benchmark around that $200,000 mark for when SMSFs became cost cost effective compared to having uh, an APRA fund. Uh, and then in 2019, um, ASIC issued a, uh, a fact sheet um, which was essentially saying it was going to cost $13,500 to, to, to run an SMSF. They're not economical, below $500,000. Um, 
and it caused quite a bit of uh, controversy uh, at the time. Funnily enough, I know some advisors out there that actually, um, whilst the content of the fact sheet was controversial, um, they actually saw this as an opportunity because their clients were looking at it going, wow, our, our, our SMSF doesn't cost us anywhere near that amount That's and we don't have 500,000. So it actually, um, whilst it was perceived negatively, um, it, it also provided for some interesting conversations and I think it did spark some good conversations around, well, what does an SMSF actually cost and um, I think uh, the key takeaway I think from from all this all, the, all of this discussion around the ASIC fact sheet and then the research that has um, flowed later um, from Rice Warner uh, that they did an association um, with the SMSF association um, is that it, it, it you've got to look at what the costs are and I guess the, the 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 value prop for an SMSF is that is their uniqueness in the fact that my SMSF uh, is going to be completely different to your SMSF and what you're doing with it and why. Um, it's that no two super funds generally are going to be exactly the same. So uh, they're quite a different um, product position compared to, to other SMSFs. So I think it sparks some really good conversations around what does it cost, but what's it going to cost me with what am I I'm, I plan to do and is it appropriate f for me? Um, of course, cost is only just one part of the the conversation on whether an SMSF is appropriate and there's certainly a number of other reasons that people do look to uh, an SMSF and where the cost may not necessarily be the overriding uh, decision point. Um, for example, specialist um, uh, estate planning, um, where you've 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 got uh, a little bit more flex um, uh, and con control with things that you can do, versus um, one of the large uh, APRA funds. So I've seen a number of scenarios where that's been uh, necessary, uh, and people have been able to forward plan that they've had time because they've had long, um, perhaps a degenerative illness. They've been able to put things in place and then put plans in place to make sure that their children are looked after and it just provided greater flexibility than um, than what they could have achieved um, elsewhere. So you've got to weigh that up, I guess, with, with what's happening in that client's um, specific circumstance. Yeah. What was really interesting with the Rice Warner research uh, late, late, that came out late last year is it uh, showed that that, that 200,000 sweet spot um, st is still there. So certainly you are in, going to be in front cost-wise, um, broadly speaking, from that $200,000 mark and above. What was interesting, though, is with the improvements in uh, technology and, and some of the, the uh time and processing efficiencies and lead to cost efficiencies, we now see uh, around about that $150,000 mark, we, about, uh, we're looking at some cost parity between the SMSF and the, the, the APRA funds. So we're starting to see it come down in terms of the, the, the cost dynamics and, and technology has had a huge part to play in that. Yeah, well, we'll we'll get into some technology in a second. So this this cost star uh, as you know these cost figures is interesting. The thirteen thousand five hundred where that sort of came from. I guess that's sort of think taking yeah. into a lot of the the um you know the specialist estate planning setups, the uh, the you know the all the different professionals um involved around the the outskirts of of this setting up and those sorts of things. Is that is that is that was that way over 
budgeted or is it, uh, you know, was that yeah, accurate? And- yeah, so I, I think what it was is the the data from the ATO was perhaps used in an incorrect uh, incorrect manner. So we saw things like establishment costs and things like that wrapped into that annual um, annual cost. Uh, and I think that's where where it, it it sort of fell over a little bit. It's just that it's the, the 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 data that it came from was fine, but how it got kind of packaged together just didn't didn't quite work. Um, so the establishment costs, of course, are a you know a sunk uh, upfront cost. I always have likened it to you know thinking it rather than as an initial upfront cost. What if we amortise that over the life of the fund? How long are you planning to have that fund for? Um, uh, so typically the ten years, twenty, thirty, depending on how old someone is, of course, when they start the fund, um, but they're expected to be around for a long time. So those setup costs, whilst, yes, they're, they're there and they're a sunk cost, really when you look at that over the life of the fund, it's they're, they're quite low. Yeah. And we really should be talking about the life of the fund, shouldn't we, not just the setting up as in the life of the fund, the uh, yeah. the winding up cost as well as the setup costs, and obviously that it sort of has a barbell effect yeah. at each end, right, a lot at the beginning, a bit, a bit, a bit at the beginning, a bit at the end and, and less in the middle. Yeah, and and look, the wind up cost is is a really great point that you make there, and and I think uh, more and more advisors need to uh, be incorporating conversations um, with those uh, around wind up with those initial conversations that they're ha- having with um, clients, so before they embark on an SMSF, um, just to make them aware, because often people don't realise. Um, the work and perhaps some costs that might go into the winding up of the fund and depending on how the fund is invested, there may be some transactional costs. So particularly if you've got um, property, time and cost to to realise that to then be able to roll your funds over. A lot of trustees don't understand that process. Um, they've never had self-managed funds, so of course they're not going to. Um, but they just think, oh, well, if I decide I don't want this anymore, I can just pick this up and move it over there. But it's not quite that simple a process. Uh, and I found where um, it's not really been appropriate, an SMSF's not really been appropriate for clients. When you start introducing, just as I guess is the, the, the psychology of working with clients, um, when you start talking about, well, be aware if this isn't for you or you decide to wind up, this is what you're going to have to go to and this is what the cost is going to be, suddenly the realisation hits home that, okay, this is probably a little bit too complex and not really effective um, for me and it's a nice, easy way to kind of manage that conversation piece. But I think it's critical to have that um, awareness up front so that people really genuinely understand what they're getting into because it's not the sort of thing to set up, run for you know a couple of years, and then wind up, move on. Like there will be a you know some cost leakage, you know in in, in that process. It's got to be a long term, longer term strategy. Yep. So definitely not a short term strategy. But do you? Do you no. I guess it's pretty interesting to consider some of the stats around this as well to say, well, you know, most people would, a lot of people would you know, start up and finish it off in, in a short amount of time. But then a lot of people would continue on for a longer period of time. And this is and understanding the client situation to say like, well, you know, this is going to be a 15 year or 20 year or 17 year or five year, whatever it might be, um, plan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and interestingly enough, about I think it's 45% of the current population of SMSFs have been around for 10 years or more. Yeah. So that yeah. It's interesting to obviously bring those stats into the conversation when when yeah. you can, can, um, setting one up. Absolutely. Now let's get, let's get into some of the technology because I love technology, but also the fact <laughs> that uh, you know it is bringing the cost to administer down. 
yes. obviously some of the it, it it may not be in this initial setup or, or or cost of the professionals, but certainly in the administration of it ongoing. Tell us about how sort of data feeds and and, and even machine learning has has changed. Uh, over, you know what we're doing over time. Yeah, so we've seen a, a real revolution in the um, the administration software that is available for accountants and administrators. Um, we've had bank data feeds available um, for a while now, but with the new generation of administration products uh, and the way these data feeds uh, flow into it, and 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 pardon, I'm not an, I'm far from an IT expert, so I can't sort of go into the the nitty gritty for the techno files out there. Um, but certainly, they're they're far more uh, efficient the way that they feed into this new generation of um, uh, of software, uh, and there's greater uh, access to other information from various platform providers uh, as well. So in terms of getting um, the uh, managed portfolio portfolios, the share trading accounts, having those contracts actually feed into the software system as well. Um, and so what we have now in these is systems is the ability to read transactions and to read share trading contract notes that, that come through. They can actually read and interpret that information. So whether it's a narrative for a transaction on a bank account or the key pieces of information in that contract, and it can read, interpret uh, and then process and allocate um, those particular transactions. So there was, there's quite a bit of um, automation uh, that starts to to come into play. And with that, there is machine learning that uh, that's um, coming into these systems as well, which is adding to greater efficiency. So they're learning that, oh, well, if you've got a regular contribution that's coming from a particular employer that belongs to this particular member, um, it, it's able to then recognise automatically that this is relating to that particular individual. Um, so it, th this has really created quite a lot of efficiency uh, around the administration. It's minimising the manual transaction uh, processing that, that used to happen quite a bit. Poor old accountants would be getting a file at the end of the year with all the bank statements, all the contract notes, and having to manually process all of these into uh, the system, whereas this happens automatically. It's happening on a sort of almost live basis as well, which is just brilliant, I think, particularly for advisors who are needing access to information in a more real-time uh, basis rather than 12, 18 months uh, after after the fact. So the fact that this information does come through um, on a daily basis typically pushes through overnight. We, it, it's not not fully live, but it, it, it it's it's getting pretty close. So um, that's that's really powerful because that information um, is so so important and can also drive the the advice process. It also provides for strategic opportunities because you can see what's happening and what's coming through the, the system, what clients are doing, uh, and perhaps head off at the pass if somebody looks like they're, they're going to be heading to, say, excess contribution territory. So it allows for a lot more proactive engagement with clients as well, which is fantastic. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, it sounds really exciting. I know you're absolutely right, the proactiveness of that um of getting in front of anything that's likely to, to, to uh, cause a problem is, is amazing. How do you see this developing over time? Because I'm imagining there's a lot of um, assets out there that uh, uh, trustees might be getting involved in. Let's talk about, uh, um, you know, blockchain style products or uh, whatever it might be, uh, you know, online. And, and obviously those transactions um, are pretty important as well to try and get those in accurately. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, can't provide any insights onto to, to, to blockchain. That's sort of not my not my foray. But uh, you're right. It's uh, this. I think is the tip of the iceberg, and. Uh, Bitcoin doesn't, or, or all those different crypto products don't seem to be uh, going away anytime uh, soon. And I think every day you pick up the paper, there seems to be an article about something that's happening in that space. Um, so I think clearly there will be something that will emerge. Uh, you would think uh, in in that space uh, going forward, how that fits in with the the, the access keys and the security protocols. Uh, that'll be an interesting one. But clearly, that will be, I, I think, the, the the next the next step, the next challenge for the software providers who are always looking for that that cutting edge advantage. Yeah, fantastic. And I think uh, obviously the systems, even from the uh, the taxation system, um, you know, the, uh, the the portals that are available, all those sorts of things, will start beginning. You know, one touch uploads and all those sorts of things, so that they you know yeah. can can know where they're up to, and and you can get sort of real. Not just data feeds from the product providers and the and the numbers, but the, both ways, as in coming from the the portals. Yeah, exactly. That that would be uh, that would be fantastic, and that would make life a whole lot easier, I think, for a lot of people. Yes. Very good, and uh, yeah. So we're, 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 I guess we're, that's an interesting space to, to watch and uh, see how that goes. And, and obviously, that as you mentioned is driving the the ongoing costs of the administration costs down. Absolutely. Now, t- tell us about the uh, tell us about corporate trustees. I mean, this is a this is a subject that we're, and we're, we're talking about cost, and often there's a mindset that a corporate trustee is additional cost uh, at yes. the beginning. Uh, you've got some different ideas and opinions on that. Yeah, look, corporate trustees, I think, are uh, essential for for a number of reasons, and certainly sometimes people are concerned because it is uh, an additional cost. Ask, is it necessary? Uh, and I always like to position it as it, it's a kind of an insurance policy, and, and that's for a number of reasons. Um, firstly, uh, if there's ever a need to change trustees, uh, when you've got a corporate trustee, that always happens at the director level. So when we have individual trustees, if we're wanting to add or remove someone as a member of the fund, they also need to uh, come in or out as a, as a trustee of that fund. So that, as a part of that process, the lawyer would need to do uh, a date of amendment to reflect that change in trustee. But also what that means, because there's been a change in trustee, it'll impact the bank accounts. And often it's not just a case of changing the, the, the title. It will often require new bank accounts, new chess trading accounts, this property, updating the titles on, on property and so forth. So, um, it, you know, it can be done, but it's a bit of, bit of work to do. And sometimes there's a little bit of cost involved, um, and, and time as well. Now, if you think of it in the context of someone, uh, we've got a family member who's seriously ill, perhaps has a loss of capacity, and they're, they're unable to act as a trustee of the fund. So an enduring power of attorney is stepping in to be the trustee of the fund uh, on their behalf. As an individual trustee structure, the last thing you want to be worrying about is all this extra admin and cost. You want to be focused on the family member. So from an administration point of view, it's a case of working through what the deed and the corporate trustee um, 
rules require in terms of appointing that person as the the trustee or the director of the trustee company and removing that other person so that that so that they can act so that can be a lot of peace of uh, mind um, but a, a, as I mentioned too it's the cost of changing everything so anytime that you've got any changes um, there, there will be some administration costs that are involved with it so I think to do that upfront um, it just absolutely um, makes sense. It also makes sure that your SMSF assets are protected. So under the, the superannuation law that you have an obligation as a trustee to keep your assets, um, the super, sorry, the super fund assets separate from your own. Um, so if you've got your own name appearing on the title of assets, you need to make sure that they're pro kept properly separate from uh, your personal assets. And that can be challenging sometimes, particularly when we look at land titles. So I'm in WA. Here on the land titles, it only shows the trustees' names. Um, so it'll only have the individual names. So if you have a special purpose corporate trustee, that company name will appear on there and it's, it's clear that it is a super fund asset. So the last thing you want to be doing is trying to defend uh, super fund assets if there's ever any uh, disputes or, or litigation or, or, or anything like that uh, happening, which we think will never happen to us. But unfortunately, when it does happen, it, it can be can can become quite messy and 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 complicated. Um, the other thing too is that if the company is registered as a special purpose SMSF trustee company, the uh, the ASIC annual return fees are significantly lower to a normal proprietary limited company. So they're $55 a year. But what a lot of people don't realise is you can actually do an election and pay up to 10 years um, up front. And in doing so, you get a, a discount. So you pay less than it's just under seven uh, years worth um, of fees based on the current rate. Uh, so you're insulating yourself against fee increases and you get a discount for paying it up front. And plus, it's just one less thing to, to worry about. So it's one way of saving money over the life of the uh, fund as well that a lot of people don't uh, don't know about. Oh, fair enough. There you go. I didn't uh, didn't know about that either. So there you go. You can you can prepay your ASIC fees and save a few dollars. Yeah. So there's a, a special purpose form. Um, best way is just to uh, to Google it, and then it'll take you to the right place on the ASIC webpage. And there's just a form that then you need to fill in, send in the payment, and that's it. Yeah, very good. Now, also, there's a bit of an advantage too when it comes to if there, if you do actually suffer any uh, 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 fines for the trustees. Yeah, absolutely. So the ATO has powers to issue administrative penalties against trustees, and these are levied um, per trustee. So if if they they make a finding that there's been a breach, each of the trustees will be penalised. So if you've got two individual trustees, that's two times the penalty, one each. If you've got four individual trustees, that's four times because each of those four individuals will be levied a penalty. In the case of a company, whilst you could have more than one director, the trustee is actually the company. So there's only one penalty to flow through. And look, people, of course, are wanting to avoid penalties because they all want to do the right thing. But sometimes things can go wrong when you least expect it. So at least that's one way of minimising um, some f future future costs should something go wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's not something that we, you want to be aiming for, but uh, it's, no, just, of course not. <laughs> it's just something to keep in mind, I guess. Absolutely. Correct. Very good. Now, tell us uh, tell us about the future. You, you're doing a lot of work with the association, obviously in the process of setting up a, a single disciplinary body. How's that going? 
Yeah, so there was uh, a, a consultation uh, paper that was uh, a bill, draft bill that was put out for, for comment and the association has put its uh, submission in. So the single disciplinary body um, is looking to make ASIC that, that, that single place for regulation for financial advisors. Um, so it will be the disciplinary body. So they're looking to expand the role of the financial services credit panel. So the FSCP and that will hear, uh, disciplinary, uh, matters and be able to issue sanctions, for written warnings right through to the broader end of the, the, the spectrum. It also means that ASIC will have, um, a broader range of powers around penalties. So probably the best comparison that that, uh, that I've heard, which I thought was great, so I'm, go- I'm going to steal it, um, is the comparison to the trustee penalty um, regime that was introduced with the ATO that provided the ATO broader powers to issue those administrative penalties we were just talking about a moment ago. Because prior to that, the only option they had was to make a fund non-compliant. So it was going through that court process and, and that non-compliance. So you're talking the very extreme end of when things go wrong, but there was nothing that sat in the middle to be able to educate, reorientate, um, and to, um, I guess, rectify things before we get to that really extreme end of, of, of the, the penalty spectrum. And, and this is really what the new ASIC powers, um, are, are about. Um, it, it's, it's adding that broader suite of powers rather than going straight to, uh, to banning orders. Other components of the bill will be, of course, um, well talked about winding up of uh, FASEA. So the administrative functions of FASEA will be moving into ASIC and then those legislative framework um, uh, powers will go to the minister. So going forward from 1 January 2022, uh, if the bill is passed, um, we'll see um, ASIC administering the exam uh, and all of those types of functions. So the good news is they've made provisions in there for the education that has already been accredited, including the uh, foreign um, education that they've they've approved for to people with their relevant degrees, that will all roll and fold into to ASIC, so which absolutely uh, makes sense. And then we've got the move to annual advisor registrations. Really interesting how it was positioned is that they positioned it that the uh, the AFSLs would be responsible for registering the individuals, but the individual would have to make a fit and proper person declaration as a part of the process. And it just seemed like a lot of uh, additional admin. And, and one thing that we uh, advocated for uh, in our response to the bill was that, look, this really should be an individual uh, obligation. Let's cut out the middleman and just have it just between the advisor and ASIC. And I think that brings it in line with other professions uh, as well, when you, you look at lawyers, accountants and so on, that individual registration process. And then the last piece of the puzzle is around the Tax Practitioners Board, um, the Tax Financial Advisor Registration. So it'll move from TPB into uh, ASIC. Now, I know this has caused some people concerns where they've recently done their renewals, they've paid their fees, worried about, oh, am I going to get reimbursed? What will happen is your uh, registration period will continue. It'll just transfer from TPB to ASIC. And when your renewal falls due as it ordinarily would, um, you'll then renew uh, with uh, ASIC within the, the, the new system going forward. 
Um, one area of concern we did raise was around those advisors who have qualified for tax financial advisor registration under the years of experience and holding a relevant um, professional body registration um, to make sure that they are properly catered for uh, under transitional measures. Um, everyone, of course, will have to meet the education stand standards by 1 January 2026, um, but people who are still completing their education need that time to, to do so. So we've just highlighted that there's a need to make sure that there's good, clear transitional measures to make sure those people can still do the work, essential work that they that they are doing. So that was quite a big body of work and uh, it'll be interesting to see um, uh, the response uh, when the, the final bill is uh, ultimately released. Yeah, it's, it, it is. Uh, it's been a moving um, piece for a piece of the puzzle for a long time. It's been difficult, but uh, I, when I think about FASIA and the Tax Practitioner Board, um, they generally spoke about the individual advisor being uh, as an individual, as a human being, uh, and the the company, the corporate. And obviously, when you register with the, the Tax Practitioner Board, you register your corporate, and you also register you as a human. Yes. Um, this now forming under ASIC, it seems a bit funny to me because ASIC are obviously a corporate. They, they, they regulate corporations and obviously it's all in the Corporations Act we're talking about. How are they going to be able to regulate or, you know, individuals? Yeah, so there's provisions that are being made. So they're, they're removing the tax financial advisor um, components from the um, the TASA uh, legislation and moving that into to the Corporations uh, Act and then ASIC will have expanded powers under the the, the, the ASIC legislation. So um, one thing that um, that that has been talked about is making sure that there's proper representation from tax professionals within that um, uh, FSCP, so that disciplinary panel, to make sure that when they're looking at disciplinary matters that are involving taxation, that there's an appropriate professional that's involved in that within that panel. Very good, thank you. Well, the, you know, so much. Obviously, that's a moving piece again. So, so much to uh, oh, yeah. to see to see how all that uh, that turns out. Uh, Tracy, thanks yes. for uh, coming on and chatting us today. Uh, tell us about um, how somebody can get hold of you or, or have conversations with the the association moving forward. Yeah, so um, certainly uh, feel free to um, contact contacts us through our uh, submissions at smsfassociation.com. If you've got any feedback on. Uh, anything that's uh, open for consultation uh, or indeed you have any concerns about uh, something that's happening out there that we need to be aware of from uh, an ad advocacy uh, point of view. That's probably the the best uh, best port of call. As always, go to the SMSF Association uh, website or certainly ring through ring through to the, the head office in uh, in Adelaide. You can track me down that way. But uh, um, always, always love hearing from uh, people on the ground because that's just so important uh, to keep in touch with what's what's impacting people in business. Wonderful. Thank you, Tracy, so much. I really appreciate you coming in and chatting with us today and uh, giving us a really good insight of what's going on in the association. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Fraser. There you have it, another episode of the XY Advisor podcast. Fraser Jack here. I'm joined by Emily Blanche. Hello. Hello, Fraser. Let's get stuck into some shout-outs. My favourite time of the week. Let's do the shout-outs. Yep. <laughs> you go. All right. We got? Today, we have a dual shout-out to XY Legends, Kelly Harris in the Sunshine Coast and Daniel Thompson in Wollongong. Both uh, legends uh, run or facilitate a local group on the platform for advisors local in Sunshine Coast and also for advisors in Wollongong. 
um, and they use it as a place to uh, organise the occasional get-together and meet up with um, with the other XYs in that location. So I know Kelly recently organised a lunch with the Sunshine Coast crew, and I know Daniel is in the midst of organising a get-together for the Wollongong tribe. So if you are in either of those locations, um, you can definitely join the group and come along to one of the events. And I guess if you're in a location that hasn't got a group on the platform, but you'd like to kickstart bit of a local meetup, um, you know, getting local XYs together to shoot the breeze and, and, and catch up over a breakfast or dinner or, or a coffee or a beer, um, let me know. We can definitely organise that for you. But yeah, shout out to Kelly and Daniel. Great to see some community engagement to kick off some face-to-face stuff. <laughs> 